It's time for the SwampSwamiSports.com audio podcast. And can you smell what The Rock is losing? The XFL recently completed week number three of its 10-game regular season. And as we predicted a few weeks ago, you know, they don't call me the Swami for nothing. The XFL's television ratings have plummeted after more viewers sampled the first week of action. Likewise, in-stadium attendance has dropped to a lukewarm 10,000 fans per game after starting out at 15,000 in week one. After just three weeks, the XFL is quickly moving toward being placed on life support. Though the upcoming week number four revenues should improve after more than 30,000 fans are expected to be on hand in St. Louis for the home debut of their 2-1 Battle Hawks, the weekly costs needed to operate this eight-team XFL have remained constant. One of the XFL's primary owners is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He's earned a ton of money from his pro wrestling and acting career. His net worth is estimated at $800 million. Can you imagine how hard it must be for him to watch some of those career earnings being flushed down the old XFL toilet every weekend? Decades ago, I learned a bit of investment wisdom, which has served me well over the years. Many investors struggle with the painful decision on when to sell a faltering stock. Now, for those of us who cannot stand to lose more than about 10 or 15% of our money after purchasing a stock, I've adopted a hard and fast rule over the years to sell it, sell, 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 and then retain 85 to 90% of the money that was left over. Now, if I still like the stock later, I can always repurchase it after it hits rock bottom and rises up once again. For example, let's say that I'd invested and purchased 100 shares of Enron, rest in peace, stock at $50 a share back in 1999. Now I have $5,000 invested in Enron. I watched that stock climb to over $80 a share in the summer of 2000, just a few months later. Woohoo! I'm making money. Excellent. Unfortunately, Enron's bubble burst, and quickly, as news surfaced about some of the company's shady internal financial affairs. I'm all ears. The stock price was beaten into submission in just over one year as the price fell to less than $2 a share. Now, if I had sold Enron at the top, I would have made about $30 a share or $3,000 on that investment. But if I sold Enron as it was falling at $45 a share, taking that 10% loss, well, I'd still have $4,500 remaining of the original 5,000 investment. It would hurt, but not quite as badly. But if I stood still and failed to act at all, I would have lost $4,800 of that initial $5,000 investment in a little more than one year. But what does this have to do with the XFL? Plenty. The moral of this story is to be honest with yourself after making any bad investment decisions. By placing a limit on the level of your acceptable losses, you're prepared to take your financial lumps, and hopefully you'll learn from those mistakes and become a smarter investor in the future. So now let's now take a look at how the XFL, as an investment vehicle, is doing for its owners. After three weeks of the Spring Football League's 10-game regular season, the weekly in-stadium attendance has fallen to around 10,000 fans a game. The weekly television viewership has fallen to about 500,000 people per game during week number three. Those ratings are down 50% from week number one. Now on the revenue side of the XFL equation, let's look at those ticket revenues. 
If the average net ticket price collected is about $20 per person, that's a fair estimate, the weekly ticket sales for a game would generate about $200,000 in revenue per game. Let's also be generous and say that the XFL average fan in attendance is going to buy some concessions and a program and some other merchandise and generate about $10 per person of profit in those items they purchased in the stadium. So now you're up to about $300,000 of stadium revenue for every paying customer in attendance at the game. The expenses <laughs> side of the ledger is fraught with danger though. There are 52 players per XFL team earning an average of $6,000 a week. The home team's cost of those football players is $312,000. And that alone exceeds the in-stadium revenues we just talked about. And don't forget, the visiting team's players must be paid too. So now let's double the cost for the players, raising the total to $624,000 per week to pay the XFL players for just one game. Oh yeah, you still got the stadium rental. That's about hundred grand per week. Add the cost of the other stadium operating personnel, the referees, travel, food expenses, television production crews, and much, much more. And don't forget, the XFL's home office staff has got to be paid every week too. Though the XFL is probably earning a share of the television advertising, the lower-than-expected TV ratings for the league mean that the advertisers are paying a lower price to reflect the smaller television audience. So the trend is not the XFL's friend. The league's home attendance and television ratings mean that the league's owners are hemorrhaging money every single week. The XFL conservatively may be losing about $500,000 per game played right now. And with four games scheduled for every week, I'm estimating that the XFL may be losing $2 million a week every single week they played. When carrying forward this projection into a 10-game regular season and two more weeks of playoffs, the XFL version 3.0 could lose $25 million or more just this spring. If you can smell what the rock is cooking, it's likely to be the odor of burning cash right now. The XFL version 3.0 is owned by Dwayne Johnson, his former wife, Danny Garcia, and Redbird Capital Partners. Now, as a longtime investor myself who absolutely hates to lose money, I can attest that it takes a very strong constitution to stand firm and watch your money being vaporized as the XFL owners are enduring right now. But what is the end game they're trying in the XFL? On the football field, the level of play is fairly competitive. Spring pro football will always be considered minor league, though, when compared to the NFL. It's just not a fair comparison. The first mistake made by the XFL this year, I think, was beginning play following the conclusion of the NFL season. Now, the months of February and March are the culmination of winter. Indoor sports like basketball are popular at this time of year for that very reason. Only the XFL's St. Louis franchise is going to be able to play their home games in a domed stadium. The fans of the other seven teams in the league are subjected to cold or wet or both conditions from week to week based on the league's early start of the year. It was the XFL who wanted to jumpstart its season, though, to grab the spotlight from its direct competitor, the second-year USFL. Some of the XFL's current players actually played last year in the revamped USFL, and the pay in both leagues is pretty comparable. The level of competition is similar, too, and I'm unable to detect much of a difference at all in the quality of play of either league. The USFL's second season will begin on a very memorable day for most Americans. It begins on Tax Day, April 15th. The USFL, exclusively owned by Fox Sports, by the way, will play its first slate of games on that weekend. 
The XFL, meanwhile, enters week number nine on April 15th of its 10-game regular season. And between April 15th and mid-May, there will be very direct competition every weekend for TV viewers between games on the XFL and games for the USFL. Assuming that the XFL does not shut its doors prior to the conclusion of its first season, an honest assessment needs to be made about their year number one. Now, I'm a little bit older than many people, okay, most people, but I remember the old American Basketball Association, the ABA, and the established NBA. Much like those two basketball leagues, the spring football leagues today have not developed a large enough following of dedicated TV viewers in order to support two leagues. Both spring pro football leagues are likely hoping that the NFL is going to ride to the rescue and partner with one of them or both very soon. I do think it would be quite fun to see one or more NFL teams align with a spring pro football franchise, whether it be XFL, the USFL, or even a merged spring league. The spring franchise could function as a developmental league for the football players of the NFL, much like the NBA's developmental G League or the Major League Baseball minor leagues. The NFL, though, has a decision to make with regard to the XFL and USFL, and I only see two possibilities. Number one, do nothing at all which is what they're doing now. Scout for a few of the talented players in the leagues and then go sign them. Meanwhile, just let the market sort out these two spring football leagues. And number two, the NFL could support spring pro football by jumping in with both feet and hope that the NFL fans would embrace the chance to see more of these young players get a chance to play for their favorite NFL team every fall. Now, I think that the NFL has wisely maintained this hands-off approach, though. Should spring pro football start to generate sizable television ratings, you better believe that the NFL is going to be there and quickly move to capitalize on any upside with this spring football. The NFL is extremely protective of its image, though, and increasing the value of its 32 franchises. It does not want to associate itself with a failure, if at all possible. Anyone remember NFL Europe? Well, the NFL would probably prefer that you didn't. From 1995 to 2007, the NFL attempted to grow the game worldwide by placing American pro football games, using minor league talent, by the way, in several European countries. Cities like Amsterdam, Barcelona, Berlin, Cologne, Frankfurt, Hamburg, Dusseldorf, love that name, and London and Scotland all had teams in NFL Europe. Unfortunately, much of the fan interest in that league came from the transplanted Americans in the region and military personnel living nearby. The NFL hasn't given up on making money from the European market, though. Oh, no. The league continues to schedule a few early season games in Europe every single year. And in this manner, the NFL owners can maintain a strong merchandising presence in the European countries without having to disrupt their very lucrative television-driven cash cow here in the United States. As of March 2023, the NFL and the rest of America just doesn't seem to be very interested in spring professional football. As for the XFL, their boat is already launched and they still have more than two-thirds of a season remaining. If the XFL happened to be one of my stocks, I would say that I'd already have my finger on that sell button right about now. The XFL's owners, though, may see things differently. But at a minimum, the losses this year might provide them with a very sizable tax write-off by next year. I'm Swamp Swamming. <laughs>